quickly. Matthew chapter 7. Let's read it together and then we're going to um, look at it. Obviously, guys, this is super difficult. Uh, a big shout out to the brave parents who brings those little babies out and minus 425 on ice slabs in the back. Thank you. It's nice to see you guys. Um, obviously, it's difficult to be able to preach uh, the fullness of the gospel and there's a lot that's been left to interpretation and my prayer would be that you take this theme because you know that as a church we are going through the book of Matthew and that you get yourself a great commentary. And online there's amazing commentaries. But I do want to say, don't just listen to everything that you Google on Matthew, okay? Some of it are, some guys are really flaky and are actually dumb. But I pray that you have discernment and journey with us as a church community as we go through these chapters. So next week uh, we're doing 8 and 9. And, and so now you know. So, so this week read 8 and 9 and say... Holy Spirit, please, there's more. Everybody say there's more. There's more. Say it like you mean it. There's more. Pretend you're like an orphan who's just seen one half a slice of a chocolate cake. There's more. There's more cake. That is amazing. I'm with you, Philip. Last night I craved chocolate cake so bad it was terrible. But anyway, there's more. There's so much more. And the Word of God is like that well that that never runs dry. It flows, like the word says, from Emmanuel's vein. And God delights in giving us the kingdom and revealing to us what His plan and purpose is. True? Okay. Matthew chapter 7. Man, I'm just waiting on the Holy Spirit. I feel God wants to do something. And I don't want to just continue and bulldoze over everything with my own agenda. Right. Yeah. Does anyone else feel that? Or is he, are you just awkwardly... Thanks, Jess. Thanks. Mike and, Mike and Christine. <laughs> Christine, you look so beautiful. She's about to have a child any second. And, uh, and uh, yeah... Just look at them. Everybody look at them. <laughs> Stretch your hands out to them and bless them. Speak a blessing out your mouth over them. We bless you with life, joy, peace, unity of the Godhead in your marriage, grace and courage for the child that lies ahead and for the children you now have. Bless you with peace like a river. The Lord is your shepherd. You won't want. He'll lead you beside still waters and restore and refresh your soul. We bless you. Crags, we bless you. In Jesus' name. Linda McDougall, look at that woman. Living testimony of the goodness of God. When Sarah was singing this morning, I will sing of the goodness of God. Linda popped into my head as one of my... Really cool stories. Someone who has had a heart for worship. I told you guys that story that when we were practicing down in the basement and we were in the middle of practicing a song, all our eyes were closed. I opened my eyes and Linda was dancing around the band. Like just heard the music, came down into the basement and started. (laughs) That song was, uh, I will not be silent. I was born to worship. I don't think I'll ever forget it. It was so beautiful. Stretch your hands out to Linda. Look at her. Thank you, Lord, that we are one. I thank you for the wonderful story of this beautiful lady. A child after your own heart. A woman after your own heart. So just bless her. Speak it out of your mouth and speak a blessing over Linda. Lord, I just see, I see deep, cry to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. I see the depth of the kingdom revealed in and through her life. I see the character of Jesus in the meekness of Christ revealed in her life and through her life. I feel there's a great weight on your life, like a mantle, like a heavy garment on your life. And where you walk, your footsteps when you look back are deep and they stay for a long time. See the fragrance of heaven on you. Where you go, people turn their heads because they smell the fragrance of heaven on your life. We bless you, Linda McDougall. We bless you with the fullness of Christ. I can only keep my hands up. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing. 
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Sergio, Monica, stand up, please. Look at this beautiful couple. Everybody look at them. I feel the Lord say to you, I love you so much. You can't understand the depth of my love for you. I'm so proud of you. Put your arm around the shoulder. To me, you are beautiful. And I'm drawing you, says the Lord. I feel Jesus saying, I'm drawing you. I can just see him like a rope around both of you and he's pulling you closer and closer. He says, you're going to see a side of me that you've never known existent, existed. The side that says to you, to me, you're accepted. You're not there. You're here in my heart, says God. And I will never let you go. In the palm of my hand, I will never let you go. Stretch out your hands to them. Let's bless them. If anybody has a word, you can quickly say it, okay? You've got 10 seconds. Speak your life over this couple. Say the purposes of the kingdom of heaven to be solidified in their lives. Thank you. Sit down, please. Should we just keep going or should we just preach? Chego, you and your wife stand up quickly, please. These guys are from uh, Brazil and they are planting a church in Milton. And right now they are waiting on the Lord for direction, grace, provision, strategy. And we are joining with them in the spirit, becoming friends, because nothing grows beyond a relational reality in the kingdom. You can be a mighty prophet if you're not relationally connected. You are a, a voice in the wind. I see the favor of God on your life. You know that already. You're walking in the favor of God. When I sang this morning, spontaneously, just get out the boat, step on the water. You've read that. You've known that. You've preached that. You've seen that. You've known that. You've done that. And Jesus says, you're not walking on the water. You're walking on my word, my invitation that said, come. So keep your eyes on him. Remember, the darkness is, it's always the darkest just before the dawn breaks. It's always in the time just before your breakthrough that you're most discouraged and most ready to give up. I feel the Lord say, I'm walking ahead of you. Just follow me. Sometimes it'll be one step at a time. Other times you'll feel like you're walking alone, but you're not. I'm with you. So let's pray over them. This morning the word was, speak life into dry bones of Ezekiel 36. And Lord, we stand with this couple and we pray that you would use them, and I know you will, Lord, but that you would encourage them Give them courage. Courage. I speak courage over you. Your vision is not generational. It's multi-generational. It's not just for you and your household. It is for generations to follow. And you need to take that very seriously. You, the, the, everything has to stay in the boat. Everything has to stay in the boat as you step over the edge and walk on the water defy that which is natural. Everything must stay in the boat. I thank you, Lord, with this new wine. There is new freedom. There are new ways. There's new scenarios. That you make the impossible possible. That you make water flow from a rock. That you make rivers flow from the desert. So we release. Bless them, guys. We release the blessings of God over their lives the fullness thereof. Fullness thereof. Thank you, 
Amen. Okay, we've got to be a real church and preach. So, Matthew 7. Read with me, please. I'm reading from the NIV and will be reading from the NIV through the whole book of Matthew. Chapter 7. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn to you and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, and by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. It cannot. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation in the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against this house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus had finished saying these things. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let me start right there. The authority of those who walk as disciples of Jesus Christ is often defined or really uh, determined by the secret place. Remember last week I spoke about the secret place. And uh, the secret place is a place that we create um, uh, and, and it's in that secret place where, where God does more than we can ever do through simple behavior modification because when the Spirit of God breathes into us, He doesn't just breathe into us to tickle us. He doesn't breathe into us to agree with us. He breathes into us so that we may live. And with that life comes revelation, illumination. And so that secret place is so pivotal to those who profess to be followers of Jesus because without it, we are just stuck reading Matthew 7 and we will make a list of things that we need to live up to and completely miss the Beatitudes for all that they are. That these are things we yield into because God is breathing His life into us Because we have a secret life with Him. Because we have a quiet place. And it's in that quiet place that, um, that, uh, that, I'm just going to butcher my sermon right here. But it's in this quiet place where God enables us to delight in obeying Him. Okay? Jesus said to His disciples, if you want to be my disciple, which was like a, which was like an open, open, uh, open statement. If you want to be my disciple, you must lay down your life 
and follow me. You must leave everything in the boat. You must leave the old behind, including your identity and all the strong things that we've shaped our lives with. You must leave them behind. Pick up your cross. Leave behind. Pick up your cross, which means uh, determining death sentence in the eyes of the world around us. And obey me. And as Jesus came to the end of it all in Matthew 28, and uh, if you read through the, uh, I've read through, well, I'm sure you all have, but now recently, um, Mark told me a couple of weeks ago to watch this thing, AD on Netflix. I'm telling you guys, it's ridiculous. I sob all the way through. It's ridiculous. And it's not even, it's like some bits of it are so cheesy, but it's, it's called AD. AD something, what? King, Kingdom and Empires, basically the story of Jesus and then the book of Acts and then, you know, all just like in everything. It's so incredible to me. And right at the end of this commission in Matthew 28, and I, um, I, um, I visited my dad when he had a stroke some years ago and, and um, it was very sad because, you know, like we all, we know our parents in a certain way. And then when they get frail and old, um, you know, yes, like it's shocking because I, I hadn't been home for, for 18 years or so, uh, but I'd seen him periodically. But the last time I saw him, he was fine. And then I saw him in hospital and after the stroke and I leant close to him. I went for a week. I literally sat by his bedside for the whole week and just listened carefully to every word that he said. Most of it was just like, like, like gibberish, you know, um, uh, and, uh, but I wanted to hear, like, you know, he's still alive, but I wanted to hear, like, the final words of my dad, you know. I wanted to hear, I wasn't necessarily wanting him to say I love you or anything like that, which he'd never said in his life. But I just, I, there was a thing in my heart that I wanted to hear what his last words were, you know. It was like a weighty expectation, like, and I'd sit and watch him, you know, and I'd listen. And when he looks at me, I'd look at him and I'd talk to him. And I'd say, Dad, what are you, what are you saying? What are you seeing? And he would describe, I think, angels, like the heavenly realms. And like he would just talk to me and these, weights, these words were weighty. So watching this AD on Netflix, you see the disciples go through this time between when Jesus was crucified in the grave and some of them had no faith that he was actually going to come back. And Mary, in one of the quotes, which just floored me, I was just sobbing, said, didn't he say, in three days' time, he's going to come back? Didn't he say that? And, and, and Thomas, or one of the characters, said, I don't believe that. I wish I can. I just, I just can't. I don't know how to believe that. And then they journey together, and then Mary sees the tomb is empty, and he's alive. And they freak out. And, and then they say, we should go and tell everybody that he's alive. And then the Holy Spirit said, no, well, God said, no, wait there until the power of the Holy Spirit comes, you know. And so as Jesus was there ascending into heaven, for, and these disciples were watching him go, and he's like, I don't think any movie guys can ever depict what really went on there. But it must have been so amazing. For those of us with graphic imaginations, like Frank and I, we can, I can see the earthquake, the storm, the... the, the Jesus goes up. Just before he left, they didn't know where he was going. When he's coming back, they knew the words of the kingdom were here. The kingdom was among them. The miracles and signs and wonders were happened. But he said something that was super weighty. And for me, this is the context of chapter 7. Like I had a context of chapter 6, which is the secret place. Context for chapter 7 for me is, what was the last thing Jesus said to us in our humanity, in his humanity? He commissioned us to go to make disciples, which he clearly defined what a disciple is in the early chapters of Matthew, teaching people to obey. And this glorious reality of chapter 7 is locked up in this secret place where we have determined to follow Jesus and he enables us by his power. And now we are no longer just living as if our lives are our own. And Peter goes on to describe it beautifully and Paul goes on to describe it beautifully that we are not... We are no longer civilians. We are, we are from a different kingdom. And when we get that into our thinking and it becomes assimilated into the way we live, we cannot but obey Jesus with delight and joy. Please smile. Somebody, everybody, smile. 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 It's okay. 
When Kath and I were just married 20-something years ago, um, we, we, before we got married, I said to her, babes, we are, we are called to a different life, okay? And she said, well, you're going to have to explain that to my dad. I said, okay. So I went to her dad. I said, hello, Mr. Gold. He's a lovely guy, very nice guy, uh, but had no reference of God. He dropped the kids off at Sunday school every day, but sat outside and read the paper in the car. She will tell you that, so I'm not dissing him. And so they, th- that was his, his sense. So I went to him. I said, Mr. Gold, I would like to marry your daughter, please. And he knew I was going to come and ask him, and there were some circumstances around the whole thing. He said, um, have you got a job? I'm like, no, I don't have a job at the moment. I mean, I just finished school. I was, uh, I was uh, teaching at a, at a high school. But, but the stirring inside me, and I'm not saying this is for everybody, but the stirring inside me to go to the nations and preach the gospel in the kind of a, whatever way God makes available for me was consuming my whole life. And Keir Taylor and I were in Africa all over the place in war zones. It was an amazing time. But I felt God was calling me to London, to England. And a friend of mine had invited us there to come and work with him. And I said to him, I don't have a job. He says, what does that mean? How are you going to support Catherine? Are you guys thinking of having a family in the future? I said, no, not really right now. But now that you mentioned it, yeah, we're probably going to have kids. He says, how are you going to support your children? You need a job. And in my mind, I was like, oh, shame. Poor fool. He doesn't understand the kingdom. I was judging him. But God said to me, no, 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 he's not a fool. He's a good father. Get a job. <laughs> so I, so I, had just, I had just been to England for about six months. I came back and um, I said, Lord, honestly, get a job, really? I just, wow, an amazing experience right now. Get a job. So, and I, but, but the Lord arrested me, get a job. So I did. I called the previous headmaster of the school that I was a teacher at. And as I got through to the headmaster, he says, Yaku, where have you been? I've been looking for you all over. We're desperate. We need a math teacher. Can you start tomorrow? I was like, yes, I can start tomorrow. And anyway, so we, so we got the thing and we started. And I started. And, uh, and now I have, I have totally forgotten why I was telling you that story. Lord, help me. Help me, please, Lord. This was a great story. Yes, I wanted to marry Catherine. No, I was... Huh? No, yeah, well, that's the final point. What? Yes, yes, we wanted to go to the world. Oh, yes, so I said to her, Kath, from the beginning, Kath, we are called to the nation, so I'm going to go back and teach, but we're going to get married, and in a while, we are planting a church, right? And she said, no. This is the crux of my story. She said, no, we're not doing that. I have a science degree. I'm not going to plant a church. What does it even mean? What does it look like? And we had this conversation. And I was like, okay, we're obviously not on the same boat. Should I marry this girl? God, is she a distraction from the call of God? I'm just being very vulnerable with you. This sermon will never go onto the internet. So you better listen very carefully, all right? <laughs> and last week just okay never mind so so anyway we had this ongoing thing and and we couldn't come into agreement and we got married and we and we were both school teachers and we couldn't come into agreement about planting a church in the nations and this is why because Catherine was afraid that God would send us to a place that she didn't want to go That's why she said, we're not planting a church. We're not, we're not planting a church. Yeah. That's all I remember for now. So let's just move on. <laughs> It'll come to me, the conclusion of this thing. Wow. It's terrible. Okay. Yeah, I had a great punchline. Please help me, Lord. What is going on? Yeah. Anyway, so this obedience to the call of God is a big deal. So the last word that Jesus said, go into all the worlds, make disciples, right? Whatever your context is, whatever your space is, whatever sphere of influence God has placed you in, that is your mission field. And just listening to Nikki, the alpha thing is not ever going to be a professional, let's bring it to the pros and they're going to do it. It's gonna, people are going to come to alpha because you invite them. Because you have a friend that you've been praying for for a long time. 
that, that you're going to step across and say, hey, we've, we have dinner together, we have, watch a small video and we talk about it, exploring our faith. You want to come? That's why people will come. Uh, and the offer guys say that over and over again. No matter how great your multimedia, your, your social media presence, your banners, your signs, people will come because you invite them. Because we invite them into this, into this glorious journey. So do not judge, or you too will be judged. This is how judgment works, and this is why Jesus does not want us to judge. Alice, come stand next to me for a second. If Alice and I are doing life together, and we are like this, right? We are doing life together, and we are just doing life, doing life, and Alice does something wrong in my opinion. I have one of two choices. I can let him go, or I can hold on to him. And in his wrongness, or me in my wrongness for that sake, we can still choose to journey this thing together into wholeness. Thanks, Al. Or sit down. Oh, no, stand up, stand up there, because I'm going to... So, can you just take your shirt off, please? Jokes, I'm joking. <laughs> I was just joking, all right. Or, or when one of us do something wrong, and this is our judgment work, and it really it's a big deal, because... because <laughs> I was just joking, okay? When we separate ourselves from anybody, in community or out of community or in life or in general where we work, Say in your working environment there are five or ten different nationalities. If we do life together with those people and we do not have a judgmental spirit, in our brokenness, in our humanity, we think of ourselves less than others like Paul says in Philippians and we are able to stay connected. Please hear me. Say stay connected. Stay connected. If we have a judgment or judgment attitude and some of this, particularly the South Africans, I know this, we were bred. If you are older than, than 20... You were bred from your mother's breast that you are different, better, greater. And so you come in with that disposition into your life that separates you from others. You don't co-journey with others. You, you don't even know it sometimes. I know it. Be, I mean, I'm saying this because I, I'm aware of it in my own life to this very day. And so when we separate ourselves from each other, this is what happens. We have the ability to now long, no longer identify with each other because I see Alice now from a distance. I don't see him anymore as my brother who I smell, who I live with, who I do life with, who I see. I see him differently now. I see him as an object. I have the ability to objectify him. And when I objectify people, then I can have opinions about them because I'm no longer connected with them. And I can say, I am here and you are there and I am and I am better than you. You don't have to use these very words, but this is how that spirit operates. And you cannot judge and love at the same time. Please say that. You cannot... Thanks, Al, you can sit down. So you cannot judge and love at the same time. And when we condemn another, it means that we project onto others that they are inferior in some way, or they are bad, or they are not doing things correctly if they're doing things differently. And some of this is so deeply bred into us because of our strong, pervasive culture in which we live, which is very parallel. If you look at the demographics of Milton, and you might have heard me speak about this before, because it's really a big deal for me. And this is what I want to say to you. Please remind me, demographics of Milton. This is what I want to say to you. There is such power when you and I, as believers, as sons of the kingdom, just get out of our front door, no matter how icy it is, put proper shoes on, and walk just intentionally a little bit around our towns, around our neighborhoods, even in our street, even in our cul-de-sac, and declaring the kingdom of heaven in this place. I'm telling you now, there's huge power in that. Because what it does, it demolishes strongholds of judgment, that I'm separate from you, I'm better than you, and so when we see our neighbors next to us, we can identify with our neighbors. Why is that a reality? Because Jesus identified with us in our weakness. Took on the nature of a servant, which means he took it on and suffered to learn obedience. Jesus, the Son of God, yes, why? Because he identified with us in our humanity. So just walking around and declaring that reality identifies us with our neighbor, our friends, our loved ones. And if we don't do that, we objectify people and we judge them and therefore cannot love them and we are closed. And Jesus said, that's what the Pharisees do. Pharisee word, I looked it up in Hebrew. It means actor. That's all it is, actor. So ask yourself, who's your favorite Hollywood Pharisee? <laughs> okay. And so we become pharisaical in our nature when we act and impersonate that we are in some way, anyway, better than anybody else. 
and even in our service to those who are of lowest stature socially economically, we do that in a patronizing manner because we're still doing it from a distance. And in our first world, this is a very touchy subject, and it's dodgy, and people hate it when you speak about that. But taking pictures with marginalized people for your social media profile is almost abominable. Because it's a patronage. It's like, oh yeah, I can identify with you because I'm so great. You're so poor. Let me just help you a little bit. No, that's not what it means. It means we choose to do life together. That is Acts chapter 2. They had all things in common. And I pray by God's grace that we will be that expression in our society. Not just here, but definitely here because from here it will flow into the nations. It's not going to happen out there and come in here. Friends, if we're still in that paradigm, we're in deep trouble. If we're finding our trends and our fashion and our this and our that from a worldly carnal point of view, we've still got the presence of God on a brand new Philistine cart bringing it in into among the people when it's supposed to be on the shoulders of the priest. So do not judge, Jesus says clearly. Remember, Jesus is also bringing in an entire new kingdom right now. We are at the, we are at the ends here, the, at the, the ends of, of, the, of the law, the old covenant where it was about behavior modification and stringent exercises uh, that, that would cause us to obey. He's saying, guys, obey, but there's a whole different paradigm for disobedience. And that's why we must be born again. It's not a good idea to be born again. If your heart is not circumcised, it means the old is not being cut away from your heart, and you will see everything through the plank. The plank's not the problem. The plank is the hypocrisy. The plank is the judgment. Stop judging and the plank is out. It doesn't mean when the plank's out you can judge better. Okay. So Paul says when we correct, we should be lowly and non-presumptuous and spiritually minded, not condemning, considering yourself lesser than the other person. Point blank, I'm telling you guys right now, it's impossible. Totally impossible. Or you just become a crafty Pharisee. And let me tell you right now, if you're bracing yourself in the book of Matthew, there are at least a thousand things in this book that are impossible. So if we're still in the vein of, yeah, I can do that. I can, I'm just going to try a bit harder. You're missing the point still. You're like the rich young ruler. What more must I do to inherit the kingdom? Jesus said, like, dude, you're on the wrong mountain completely. You're missing the point completely. Secret place secret place, soaking in the presence of God that has the power to, to transcend all our reasonable doubts and reasonable arguments that we present to ourselves. Because you lie to yourself first ever before you lie to anyone else. So don't correct sin unless you're 100% sure. Correction is reserved for those who live the divine power of the spiritual life. Correction doesn't mean to straighten people out. I love the Pete Scazzera and the emotionally healthy spirituality places that as a high value for, for group leaders, that we are not there to correct people or straighten people out. Alpha is very much like that as well. It's what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And at the end of the alpha thing, there's almost non-conclusive thing. And for, for those of us that are more pragmatic, it drives you crazy. Because nobody says, okay, you're wrong, you're right, follow this way. It leaves it open. Wow, that is like, wow, Yaku, that is not the way we do Christianity well, I hope you get the next generation. That's why the next generation check out. Because we throw our pearls of wisdom to those who do not even want it. Let me continue. So if you think you're prone to your brother's fallen state, in other words, you have the propensity to, to, to fall in a similar way, you'll be free from self-righteousness and in a much better position than just to give silly advice. Try to feel the burden of the, the one trapped in sin. And that's why the word says that we can cry with those who cry, laugh with those who love. That's the, that's the cultural, uh, the kingdom expression of that. So counter-condemnation is, is now a new thing. It's not new. It's like, like 2015, it's, um, psychologists started to write about it. Um, but basically, it's just, it's just the generational gap. Counter-condemnation came as a result of a generation that judged their children based on their experience. Parents, listen to me. This is a big deal. So when our kids didn't want to do what we want them to do, we said, we used to do it this way. You must do it this way. Levi uh, um, used to never sit up at school. Ask Julia, she'll tell you. 
he, he, they were homeschooled on the islands. They had a beautiful little classroom right there overlooking the ocean. It was like unbelievably beautiful. But I could not get Levi to sit up. Catherine neither. He would lie on his chair up and down, feet on top, and swing around. Nah, 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 nah. And it used to drive me nuts. Julia would sit up and take copious notes, like books, and copious notes, and pictures, and paintings, and stickers, and her desk was like beautiful. She'd sit there. She'd be first, last out. It was absolutely amazing. She still is today. Does the same thing. Her birthday is in February. She starts planning in July, and it's lists and lists and lists and lists. Everything from food to people, it's on and on. Levi would lie on his back, lie on his stomach, lie on his feet in the air, and when you ask him, what did I just say? He would repeat exactly what he had to say. So one day we had friends, Frank and Cheryl. You met Frankie. You preached here once, the, the guy and his family. Wonderful family. She's a school teacher. had been a school teacher for 25 years. And she said to me, Yaku, you just need to totally change. It's like, Cheryl, what are you talking about? We were spanked. They call it spanked in America. We were beaten with sticks in the African school system. If you even stepped out of line. You don't even think about lying on your back when you're reading. Are you nuts? <laughs> Lying down? Your brain doesn't work. Your eyes close, your brain works. And all these idiosyncrasies. And she said to me, Yaku, you know what? In this scenario, what has to change? Not Levi. Levi will learn lying down. Levi will learn standing on his head. He will learn swimming in the ocean. He will learn, he will learn the way he learns. And for me, I mean, for, you, for those of you who are edu- in education, you think I'm silly even talking about this. But this is just to illustrate the point. How every generation has to get to that transitional reality where the kingdom messes us up so much and we feel so insecure and so, such a failure, in particular with our children and with the next generation. And God says, it's okay. I've got it. I've got it. Come down. Tear down those old things. Cut them off. Allow the next generation to come through. So I had to change. And it still killed me. It still totally killed me that he would lie down when I was reading to him or whatever the case is. But I kept reading and I changed. And look at him today. He still can't read. He still can't count. <laughs> Let me sum it up like this. By the age of 10, Levi had read every C.S. Lewis book by himself. I bought the C.S. Lewis compilation like it's this thick. Don't you guys had it? I got home one day after school because I taught at the high school there. And Levi was this much into the book. I'm like, buddy, what are you reading? He's like, oh, The Great Divorce. I was like, what? <laughs> he was this high. Julia also loved to read. Our kids loved to read. And he never sat up once. That book was so heavy. <laughs> He'd lie down on the book. <laughs> but he read and read. And I had to change. And, 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 I, and I walk with Jesus. And I know it's a long story. I've wasted so much time with this. But guys, we have a responsibility to carry the glory and the beauty of this Savior, this person, this Jesus that we worship and sing to and live for and adore and create space and time for. I pray you do and we do. To carry that through. We are the carriers of hope. We are the ones in the darkness that hold the light for the next generation to take that light and to find expression in their way. And the way that God makes room for the next generations to come through. If we judge, we are separating ourselves from that generation. And we create what psychologists call uh, 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 counter-condemnation. Which is basically generational gaps. We don't want that. And we wonder why our kids never want to be home. Well, my kids are always home. There's always people at our house. But I'm just saying, like, you know... Because we do this. And it leads into the next one. How can I say to my brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye. So as long as we can condemn, we cannot help or even speak. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Neither does it mean that when we remove the plank, we'll be able to judge others better. It simply means when we judge, we have a plank and we are blind to the kingdom reality of the one that we are judging. There's a difference between the here and now and the kingdom reality. And, 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 and imagination, like I spoke about last week, is huge. Imagining the things that are not as though they were. And so, do not judge. It doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean not to discern, okay? I'm not talking about not discerning, but I've heard it too many times, even in my own life. I'm discerning something, but basically I'm judging someone. 
Discernment is loud and clear. It's like conviction. It's not guilt. There's a difference. There's a kingdom difference in that whole thing. So do not give to dogs what is sacred and do not throw to poles what uh, your poles to pigs. This speaks of our desperate desire to manage people and their lives by pushing our poles of wisdom onto people whether they want them or not. Even forcing people to come to church. Okay, I love people to come to church on a Sunday morning. I love it. It's my thing. I love it when people connect and I hear how people got together and prayed and like sang and went out to the pub or went for a meal or went for a coffee. That's what it's about. It's when we get it right here that people would have something to come into, into this community. And so, uh, um, um, so what this verse does not mean, and it ties so well, well uh, like in, in what I've just said, it does not mean that we have great, wonderful truths that, that we can give to others, but there are some who are not worthy of such treasures, usually the ones who reject them anyway. They are the pigs and the dogs, and we shouldn't waste our time with such people. It doesn't mean that at all. It's not a judgment. It's not a distinction. It's not a separation. It's, a, it's, it's actually a helpful reality. You know why? I thought, what should I do? Let me go and study pigs' digestive systems. Yeah, okay. Because I'm like that. I'm joking. I'm not like that. Uh, pigs, pigs have, of all the animals, the closest digestive system to humans. Pigs' teeth have been used as implants into humans. Not, not so much today. I get, maybe today still, I don't know. They have the same teeth as ours. Put your tongue on your teeth. They're all flat. Can you chew pearls? Pearl, pearls? No, you can't chew pearls. Okay? You can't chew pearls. I don't know. But you can't chew pearls. Pearls are hard. They're not helpful. It's not helpful to give pearls to pigs. Give old cabbage to pigs. Or fraught food. Or other stuff to pigs that pigs eat that can go with their flat teeth. Jesus is not saying people are pigs. He's just saying it's not helpful to give something like a pole to a pig, to force your way on someone else, because they don't, not only will they break their teeth, if they get to swallow it, they can't digest it. It causes them to be judged, uh, uh, what's that word? Uh, constipated, and they die. And so we, const- we end up with a bunch of constipated people we just force our, pearl, our, our pearls upon them. It's not helpful. I hope you get the point. And you know what happens then? If you go to the pigs, and we had a bunch of pigs when I was a kid, and some of my other families have as well, and on the islands, Julian Levi used to love to go to the pig farm. When you go to the pig farm, they are pretty, they are, they are pigs. And there were some wild pigs as well. They would chase us sometimes, and they are ferocious. And I had a picture of Captain's mom's pig. His name's Ferguson. He's absolutely monstrous. He's this size. He has like teeth growing out like that. That thing comes running after you. You better move. There's a warthog, a pig in South Africa. Those things are so quick and they have little things and they, they gaffy, they're terrible. They, they can get vicious. Especially when you have the promise of something to eat. And if you continue to force yourself on people, they are hungry, they are ferocious, they will turn to you because you are edible. A pig will much rather have a piece of your calf, especially Frank's calves. Have you seen his calves? It's like, <laughs> then he will chew a bunch of hard, stony things that are irrelevant in his life. They'll turn to you. And neither, I looked at the sacred things, like it says, don't give dogs that which is sacred. Sacred in that context are books, the, the books, the Bible, the scrolls, or crucifixes, like crosses, which is just such a beautiful picture. Why do we force our, 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 our religion, our traditions, our sanctimonious self-righteousness onto people? And then we are so surprised when they turn around and bite us. And this is my conclusion. Don't judge. Let God be God. It's when we think that our opinions carry more weight than God's enabling power to save someone, that we are, by default, judgmental. Now, some of you, I know it's not fair, and I'm not objectifying you, but you have that gift. It's huge. I don't know if it's a gift. No, it's not a gift. I think it's a generational reality. Some of you have grown up in families that are super judgmental. Some of you have grown up in families that are totally not judgmental. 
Now, just think for a second. Have you ever been in a family, in a home environment, where people are not judgmental? Have you? Have you? I'm sure you all have. I have. I have, a, I have friends that are like that. It's, it's, that is a gift. You feel in that home that you're never judged. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you have basil in your teeth or if you, if you, if you, if you stink or if you're just not judged. What does that do to you? It makes you free. It makes you want to lie down on the couch. You are free. That's how we ought to be. Hear that, John? <laughs> Come to lie on your bed. So stop forcing your pills on the pigs. People aren't the pigs. It's just an, it's a metaphor. It's not helpful. And don't give sacred things to dogs. They can't relate to it. Let God be God. Remember this. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he says that all things in common, they got this right, the ask, seek, and knock. If we take that out of a godly prayer scenario into a community scenario, it also changes everything. Ask, seek, and knock from each other. We build community this way because of the secret place. And who adds to the church daily who are being saved? God does. So this is my conclusion. Stop trying to do what God wants to do and do what he's called you to do. Obey him. Obedience and abundance are inseparable. They cannot be torn apart. And Google has a theology for everybody. That's why you need, we need community to do life together. Otherwise you can go on Google and find anybody to agree with you about your theology. There is no validity in theology until it's worked out here in this place with each other where we hold on and we won't let go no matter what. No matter how many mistakes, no matter how violent, how brutal, how unfair, we hold on. As soon as we let go, we have the right to objectify and we judge. And Jesus was only harsh with one group, the actors, the Pharisees. We don't want to be those guys. And you can be super sincere and think you're not a Pharisee, you're just sincerely wrong. Wrong. Okay, and I'm going to close. More often than not, giving our pills to pigs is just a way to shift people from God's control to our control. And although it might be well intended, it is devastating. And that's why you have children that graduate from church when they graduate from school. Their teeth are all broken in the spirit. They cannot assimilate the kingdom. They can't see it because they've only had pills their whole life. Instead of space, sometimes those spaces take you into the dungeons, bro, but God will find you there and bring you out. And that is substantial, nothing else. So what's the conclusion to that? Don't control, let God control. You get into the secret place. Let God do the rest. And guys, obviously, I am in trouble because narrowgate, ask, seek, and knock, true or false prophets, true or false disciples, you have to read the Bible, okay? Okay? Please, promise me you're going to read it. I do want to speak about the narrowgate and I'm done. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We live in a pluralistic world where everybody says that all the roads lead to Rome. They don't lead to Rome. 401 leads to Toronto, not to Rome. So, there is only one God. Okay, and there's a narrow gate, and few find it, and it leads to life. There's a broad, there's a wide gate, many find it, and it leads to destruction. Jesus made these statements, and he was crucified for that. I am, which is pretty narrow-minded, the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of the ways, one of the truths, one of the lives. Don't use that in a preach for someone until you have that as a reality in your life in the quiet place, in the secret place. Who is my way? When I feel insecure, Jesus. What do I do? I look to Him. How do I do that? I just start by creating space for Him. Who's my ultimate truth? Definitely not the politics. Definitely not your intellect or your brain capacity or your capacity to earn. All given to you by God. He is the truth. He's infallible. He's trustworthy. And He's sweet. And He's the life. When you feel death darkness surrounds you, like the night holds on to you, God is holding on to you. 
even in the night. He's through the night with you. He does not judge you. He does not ever equate you, oh, you're a better Christian, you're a worse Christian. You, oh, no, no, no. He doesn't do that. And that is scandalous to most Pharisees. And that's why they crucified him. The narrow gate. The narrow gate's a big deal. And there's so much more to say about it. Jesus is the light of the world. And whatever light people might have can only come from God. God wants all to be saved. Second Peter chapter 9. And he's patient with us. And this is God's dream, to have everyone at the feast. Every human being that was ever born is God's desire to be at the feast. From one man he made all the nations, Acts 17, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out the the, the appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. The narrow gate. The narrow gate. I read the statistics and I can't remember them exactly. But every hour about 280 people die. Two of the 280 people are Christians. Or say they're Christians. But let's keep it at two. Where do you think the other 278 people are going? I know this is going to rattle your cage a little bit, but it's okay. I don't know where they're going, okay? And it's part of what I said right in the beginning. It's because, because we become so emphatic and conclusive sometimes that we are like, you know, I don't know. But he said he's the light of the world. Am I saying now that there are other gods? No, there's one, Jesus. But paradoxically, at the same, at the same time, I don't understand and I cannot explain and I do not have an answer for that And I am actually at a place in my life right now where I am okay with that because of one reason. God's dream is that none should perish. And that's why we live this life to the full and we obey. And if we want something so bad that we feel like it's eating us alive and it's contrary to what God says, we obey. We obey. It's in that choice and that decision and the outworking of that that the fragrance is released. A new wineskin is shaped by the hands of Jesus. When we just turn and obey, we don't explain. We can't give all the answers. We don't have them. It's okay. You can just say, I don't know. Because we know that God's desire is that none should perish. That he's made a place for everyone at the table. If you read the story of Mephibosheth and David, you see that you and I are the Mephibosheths of the world and God has made a place for us at his table. Mephibosheth was Samuel's son, Solomon's son. He was a cripple and David, in honor of his father, went looking for Mephibosheth, found him living in a cave like a homeless person and brought him in and gave him a kingly seat at the king's table. Mephibosheth ate at David's table for the rest of his life until he died undeserving, crippled, broken. He brought him in and sat sat him as a king at the table. That's God's plan for every human being on this planet. That's what we have to hold on to. And that's who we are. How can we judge and love at the same time? Impossible. It's impossible. And at the end of it all, Paul says, Oh, that I may know him. Oh, that I may know him. If knowing God was as easy as going to school or, 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 just, or just reading the Bible or reading a good book, then you will never know God. Never know God. Because I cannot just read a book about Catherine. I have to be intimate with her. I have to disagree with her I, sometimes. And she, she disagrees with me a little bit now and again. I have to... I have to clean up after her. I have to serve her. I have to love her. I have to not judge her. I have to hold on to her when she lets go of me and when I let go of her, she does the same. It's that intimacy. It's the knowing of Jesus that will give us the authority that I saw in Linda's life. The authority that when you walk, your footsteps are deep. Otherwise, we have been we've been swept up in the culture. It's so pervasive. And um, I'm going to read a page and I'm done. In, um, uh, John Mark Comer was, uh, I was listening to a uh, podcast. 
he was saying that they had a, no, it wasn't John Marcoma, it was this guy, Sean, Ga- Sean Boltz at the conference. Did I say this last week? They sent about 1,000 people into the city to reach the city for Jesus. Only 500 made it back. Yeah, 500 of them were swallowed by the culture. And he said, because they knew the gospel, but it never cut away the old and changed their lives. The circumcision of the heart. You must be born again. Otherwise, you will just see this as behavior modification. And soon you'll be frustrated. You'll be like, you've, you've, you've tricked me. This is like stupid. I'm out of here. And you'll end up more disgruntled with the church than ever before. Warwick, don't leave. You need to listen to this. When you teach your children, and I'm joking, I'm joking, and adults to, to ride a bicycle or to swim, they actually do ride the bike or swim in appropriate occasions. You don't just teach them that they ought to ride the bike or that it is good to ride a bike or that they should be ashamed if they don't ride the bike. Similarly, when you teach people to bless those who curse them, they actually should bless those who curse them and not just think about it or think that they ought to bless those who curse them, even family members. They recognize the occasion as it arises for what it is and response from the heart of Jesus, which has become their heart. That is the problem with pearls and pigs. They cannot assimilate it. Until we've assimilated Jesus and his heart becomes our heart, we will not be able to turn the other cheek. Please don't for a second think I'm speaking from moral high ground to you right here. I cannot turn the other cheek. Okay? I struggle. I want to. I want to. Moreover, it is human nature to resist deep inward change. For such change threatens our sense of personal identity. However, the emphasis all too often is on some point of behavior modification. This is helpful, but it's not adequate to human life. It doesn't reach the root of the human problem. The root is the character of the inner life where Jesus and his call to apprenticeship in the kingdom places all the emphasis. Jesus is always calling us to be apprentices. And therefore, who are you apprenticing? And what are you apprenticing? It's just... Behind our many praiseworthy activities, they still lie a many-sided theological and institutional disconnection between faith and obedience. Friends, I want to say to you that I feel Jesus has spoken to us over the last six months in particular about a couple of things. Number one, I do feel that we are in the weight room. Just If you don't know this yet, it is on record right now. I believe that we are sweating. I believe that it's tough. I believe that God is expecting more from us, stretching us, enlarging us, increasing us, for a generational coming of the kingdom of heaven into this, into this place, into the city. And I prophesy again that this building is way too small for the harvest. I do believe that God is saying, and number two, is saying that I want to pour out my presence upon you, but my presence is so interconnected with obedience to who I am that is found in the secret place only, not a set of rules and regulations. That if you hold anything back, Go and watch AD. You will be blessed. Ananias and Sapphira, chapter 5, Acts. It is mind-blowing. No. You can have all of my life, God, but not my wallet. Or you can have all of my life, God, but not my secret time in the bathroom. You can have all my life, God, but not my desire to have a wife or a husband. So anything that we might compartmentalize. For me, it's this. God, you can have everything in my life except Red Hill. That sounds so pathetic when I say it out loud. But God is able to do much more and let His grace abound much more than I ever will have the capacity. So we cannot have the presence without obedience. God, I love your presence so much. Oh, more of your presence. Julia got up and read it and she tried to say that with the offering. Lord, you've spoken amazing words over my life. What have I done with them? How am I walking in obedience to those words that you've spoken? Okay, they're impossible. So what? Yeah, they're impossible. Step out of the boat. Faith required in the kingdom. So presence, yes. We don't want to, we can't, we have nothing. We're dead in the water without the presence. And we have the presence of God. But it requires of us obedience. That will cost us. 
And David said, I'm not going to bring you anything that costs me nothing. That's the, that's the wonderful life of the kingdom. That's the wonderful life of the kingdom. Amen. Amen.